0: The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Synonyms from director Nadav Lapid. Winner of The Golden Bear at Berlinale and an official selection of the 57th New York Film Festival, Synonyms comes to theaters starting October 25th.
1: Ovid.tv is the independent streaming home for people who want to watch essay films, works of international cinema, progressive documentaries, and the arthouse gems that are impossible to find anywhere else. For just $6.99 a month, you'll have a direct hand in creating a haven for daring works of cinema.
2: Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Ripold and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. The Lighthouse is the mind-bending new movie out from Robert Eggers, a director who's making a career out of revisiting America's primal past in vividly imagined period films. In 2015, Eggers won the Best Directing Award at Sundance, For The Witch, a chilling piece of horror set in a colonial New England settlement. In The Lighthouse, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson star as two lighthouse keepers, a grizzled old-timer and his new apprentice in 19th century Maine. For our latest film comment talk at Film at Lincoln Center, I spoke with Eggers about the art and craft of making the movie, fleshing out the details of its setting, and what he'd do with an unlimited budget. Let's go to our conversation. If we begin at the beginning... I feel like that takes us to something like the beginning of New England or something. Um, but uh, it, this is a film that it just really lives and breathes its its time period, um, which you'd say bullpark, I forget. Is there is there a, a date line? Uh, 1890s. 1890s. Okay. Um, and I mean, you know, you're curious when you see a movie like this, how exactly you're able to sustain the kind of mood of it and the level of detail in it.
3: And the same scene over and over and over and over <laughs> again, basically.
2: Yeah, we'll talk a bit about that. I mean, what was? How did you think think through that? Or is that is that a kind of a fear that two guys in a lighthouse? You know, how do I rethink this? What are the camera setups for this? You know, how do I keep a certain mood? Uh,
3: yeah, I mean. Um, <sighs> uh, I'm 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 sort of obsessed with historical accuracy, which isn't necessarily an important thing to make a good period film. Uh, many uh, period films that I enjoy uh, are not historically accurate at all. Uh, but I, I I I enjoy researching, and I enjoy um, I, I enjoy researching as a means to an end to create an atmosphere in a specific world where you can uh, believe in uh, mermaids and, and, and sea monsters and things. Uh, but I also like the act of research. Like I, I enjoy learning about this stuff. If I made a contemporary film, I think I would be very bored, and I would start fixating on stupid things to occupy myself. Uh, but um, a, a, you know, Guillermo del Toro, uh, if he does a period film, he he creates his own world beautifully. Uh, I would find that pr- you know crippling that the pressure to to invent that stuff and i find it's very satisfying for me and my collaborators to know what the bar is and that is accurate of course it's always uh, an interpretation of of accuracy if you go to a museum it's always an interpretation of right. of, of of whatever they've learned and, and and of course people and different historians have different ideas about this and that but this is uh, you know the one's best one's best interpretation and and you know my my entire process and my brother who wrote this with me took that process on. My entire uh, writing process and, cre- and creation process is is, is research-based. So, uh, you know, my brother and I had the concept, a ghost story in a lighthouse, which is not what this is, but that was the sort of beginnings of it, and this atmosphere of a, of a black and white, crusty, dusty, rusty, musty world uh, in in a boxy aspect ratio with the, the pipe smoke and the facial hair and the Guernsey sweaters and the salt cod and... Uh, uh, <sighs> rolled cigarettes, right. clay pipes, whatever, blah, blah, the blah. Works. And then, you know, how do you, what's the story that then suits that atmosphere? And, you know, I think people who don't like my work would say that the problem is I start with atmosphere and not story. <laughs> uh, but, <clears throat> but that's um, sort of what, what turns me on. I mean, I guess it's not always that way, but usually.
2: And what are you looking at, or what are you you getting from you know? I was scanning the credits at the end because I knew there would be all sorts of things there. Like like I saw Sarah Orne Jewett's name in there and Lighthouse Journals. What did you draw from those kind of historical sources?
3: Um, I mean, obviously, we need to learn how to talk in these dialects that we don't uh, speak. And uh, you you know, you start out with Melville and Coleridge and Stevenson and the usual culprits, and you start out with your best version of, of long john silver and ahab's love child slash you know the captain from the simpsons uh and then you uh when, when we found the work of sarah orne jewett uh who is a, a an author from the good old state of maine who was uh writing in the in the period in which this film takes place she would interview sea captains and sailors and and farmers Uh, and write her stories in dialect. So that was uh, the best resource uh, for us. And then I found, uh, or not, my wife found uh, in the library um, a a, a dissertation by... Evelyn Starr Kutzler uh, that was about the like dialect in Sarah Orange Jewett and she was breaking the dialects down and and stating the rules of the syntax and where is their words omitted and where is there R's where there shouldn't be and so on and so forth and so we could say okay these seven things need to be consistent with Willem's dialect these 12 with Rob's or you know whatever and and that and and so she really she really helped us out.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it is remarkable because that part of that is that it sets a rhythm. Finding the language and, and using the language sets a certain rhythm, um, and that's something that I kind of noticed just thinking about all your movies. That's very important to them. Um, we'll we'll show a clip actually from a, from an early earlier short film of yours. But The Witch, of course, had its its own uh, intensity and just kind of um, almost claustrophobic kind of kind of feel to it. That you're heading towards something, but you don't know exactly what, and you're just reading everyone's interpretation. How do you maintain that kind of um, pace or speed when when you're making a movie?
3: I think with The Witch, the one rule was that every scene that was written needed to end with, "Uh uh-oh, and and if every scene has a bigger "Uh Uh uh-oh, then then you're on on the right track. Uh, You know, if anyone has anything good to say or negative to say about the cinematic language of my movies, you know, it's a it's a collaboration between me and my uh, cinematographer, Jaron Blaschke. I, I'm not like uh, Ari Aster or uh, Martin Scorsese. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we, we find this uh, together. But, but we are creating a very specific language. We don't shoot any coverage. We come in uh, very well planned because uh, we're trying to have a level of craft that we can't have at our age and experience level. Uh, and... Um, and... So we are very conscious about you know where we place the camera and 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 how that is going to affect the audience and that is the, our main tool in driving the the pace and and keeping things tense with uh with with the story. Uh, with the lighthouse is very much told from the perspective of Robert Pattinson's character. Very few scenes are we're with Will, with Willem. and so every scene. So if there is a big wide shot, that's sort of. Uh, majestic or something, that's because, you know, Rob's experiencing uh, the the largeness of the landscape psychologically. You know, is that always going to be how you are going to interpret it? Not necessarily, but that's how we uh, plan, uh, uh, you know, the language.
2: Yeah, and I mean, of course, you know, having a movie that is such a two-hander, it really depends on having two actors that you can you know look at for that for that long and and listen to for that long um what was the process of like putting together this the, the team of the two in in this uh
3: i mean it's it's embarrassing to say but it was it was fairly easy like i like you know no one wants I, to hear that. <laughs> I didn't i didn't uh i didn't expect and the witch to be successful like i i thought that it would uh it, I thought it was good enough to get some kind of distribution even if it was like you know in two uh, art house theaters in New York and L.A., and then just died a, a quick death. Uh, uh, and I hoped that it would get enough good reviews that maybe someone would let me make another movie. And that's and instead, like, it found an audience, which was great. Uh, and one of those audience members was Willem Dafoe, and 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 uh, and so he 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 reached out to me and said that he wanted to meet. And to my shock and surprise, he said, "You know, whatever you're doing next, I want to I want to mm. do it." Uh, wow! Yeah, uh, and uh, so when this became out of, I was working on many things, larger things, all my own pieces. But making a large studio movie is not easy, uh, and uh, and 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 so of all the things on my slate, this was the thing that seemed like it was going to get greenlit. And so obviously, who else is going to do this but Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson? Rob and I had also discussed trying to get together. I mean, both both of these actors are obviously like. Uh, looking to work with auteurs or even wannabe auteurs like myself, uh, so that they can take some big, some big risks. And I, I, um, I offered Rob a, a role in one of those movies that didn't get made. more, he was sort of a cigar smoking, sherry drinking Victorian gentleman, and he said, "No, thank you. There's no challenge in that. I'm only interested in, in weird challenges." And so when I sent him this script I said is this weird and challenging enough for you uh, and he, he he was excited by it you know yeah uh,
2: and what did I'm curious what each of them brought because they they come out of, they come with each of their own style and also kind of acting traditions to a, cer- to a certain extent um, I mean I'm curious what, do, what did Will and Defoe bring to it because it's almost a stage theatrical setup in a way, having having two people in a room, kind of circling each other for a while, and you're just watching them. You know, I mean, in my mind, I almost think of like a, a Pinter play or something, just there where you're you're just watching their kind of slights accumulate. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, certainly, I had it. Like, I I, I think that the the the, the Pinter Lozy collaborations, like the servant, clearly yeah. it was inspirational to this, uh, and and some of the and stuff that Bergman and Mike Lee. There's people who come from theater who make films that have some films that have aspects of them that that could feel like a stage play. But I'm I i do not I know that Through Glass Darkly was like on Broadway or whatever. But I still think that that movie is cinematic, even though there are these like long dialogue scenes. But that just comes from a director and writer who comes from the theater and knows what a long dialogue can scene scene can do. But but yes, there is like the scent of of, of theater here. So uh, because Jaren and I planned the 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 where the camera was and what the cameras movements would be well before the actors got there I rehearse with the actors so that they know they're blocking uh, so that when we come to set they can it can seem somewhat naturalistic and, and and not like they're just puppets hitting hitting marks um, uh, but I when I'm doing a film as opposed to theater I do not ask for any performances please Save it like you're just marking things, and then with this movie, because there was so much dialogue, I did want to get a sense of pace, right? Uh, But so the thing is, Defoe, though, it comes from theater, so he was happy to give 125% at every single rehearsal, and he could still come, uh, you know, on set and give 150%. uh, You know, he has more energy than anyone I've ever met, Um, and Rob, who does not come from theater you felt very uncomfortable in this situation. Uh, and that was great because it's Willem Dafoe's lighthouse and he feels comfortable there and Rob does not feel comfortable. Right. There. Um, so, so that was good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to work well. Um, I thought, um uh, I mean, we'll talk a bit about, I think, Um, you know a prior movie you've done that we can show a clip of but I thought it's a useful clip because this is a short film you made uh, Brothers and the reason I bring it up now is because it's also about a very intense piece about two individuals and just kind of circling each other in a very different way very different context entirely different relationship but I thought it might be uh, interesting to show um, here sure okay so can we show a clip from Brothers
3: what's he looking at
2: (laughs) is the question always the question Actually, a question in The Lighthouse as well. but Yeah.
3: Um, yeah. So that movie, uh, basically, in after the third year of The Witch not getting financing, uh, Jay Van Hoy and Lars Knudsen uh, uh, from the former Parts and Labor said, you know, you got to make another short film because you haven't made one in five years. And the one that you made has nothing to do with The Witch. So we suggest that you make a movie that has scary woods, that has kids as leads, and it has naturalistic performances, uh, and so um, I I, uh, I knew I w- in one of my desperate attempts to try to figure out how to make the witch cheaper. I I was doing trying to figure out a version that was like in my backyard, and so that uh, this this location uh, is, there, is is is, it, is near this dilapidated farmhouse that's five minutes from where I grew up, and those were woods that I thought could have worked for the witch, and obviously they look very if you've seen the witch like quite a lot like the woods from the witch uh, and uh, yeah and it was based on my own childhood experiences playing in the woods uh, and, uh, and a mentor of mine stories about being a, a farm boy in, in 1960s rural New Hampshire and uh, the poet Gregory Orr um, his, killed his brother in a hunting accident uh, and I heard him speak um, and that was inspiring as well.
2: Yeah, that might leave a memory. <laughs> um, could well so and you so you grew up in New Hampshire and and right yeah yeah uh, yep yep yep. <laughs> and uh, I mean, what what you know, you seem to carry like a, a real feel for place, not just the past, but just for place generally. I mean, it, do, you, do you kind of trace an attachment to something about? American past, it just seems very grounded in all your films.
3: Well, I mean, you know, these three films are all trying to connect with, and my Edgar Allan Poe short film that's oh, yeah. not a complete piece of crap, uh, <laughs> the, 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 yeah. they're they're all trying to commune with uh, that one a little less, but with the folk culture of mm-hmm. my region, uh, and um so yeah, I mean I, I like I, I am I am interested in that. I've I've developed things that had to do with the folk culture of Transcarpathia and uh you know, Siberia and whatever, but like they didn't get made.
2: I, so Transcarpathia would be Nosferatu, right? Or
3: Oh gosh, well, I wish they hadn't said anything.
2: <laughs> I'm not I, that's as far as I'll go. Um but what's the Siberian one? What
3: I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, well, I'll I'll talk to you afterwards. Um, but I mean, the folk culture, um, yeah, that's something that's kind of palpable. And in the lighthouse, one thing I really love about the lighthouse is you almost get the feel of folk culture or mysticism very or- organically developed. You know?
3: Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I don't like about Lovecraft, like, mm-hmm. is that it gets it. Like, if if this were if Lovecraft had done this movie, there'd be a point where. Uh, Robert Pattinson realizes that like in the light is uh, uh, the god blah 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 (laughs) blah and like and it's part of a Dagon cult and he finds like (laughs) these runes these Lovecraftian runes that explain the whole thing and I'm want you know questions instead of Answers right. to be a cliche wanna be Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Lovecraft
2: must have been just a gas at dinner parties. Just getting, sitting sitting <laughs> next to Lovecraft. Um, but the, I mean, the thing about the mysticism, or uh, I don't want to, you know, give away too, too much about the lighthouse. But thing, as things develop. I feel like it almost comes out of routine, and that's that's something that that that's really important to a picture of the past.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, so if you you know the sea, is, she's the most powerful character in the movie, and if you're living your life on the sea, it's it's no wonder that all the sailors have so many superstitions because any uh uh on, on, ontology belief system whatever uh is is based around um you know trying to create some harmony and order in 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 chaos so they so of course they're developing all these superstitions that like are not you know i mean they're important they're real they exist you know if you believe it exists the end
2: right yeah and 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 you know as you go through your days the kind of monotony of it and it's something that's almost like fertile ground for something to develop the kind of and especially if you're not eating well or if you're cooped up oh sure situation. yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah i mean yeah. i i doing lighthouse press over and over and over again as i was saying i was entering a, a fugue state you know perhaps i'll uh, you know <laughs> yeah. see a vision of dagon uh in repeating myself over and over again You'll
2: have some visions um, um, I also just want to ask a bit uh, before we get some questions from the audience, um, just about kind of cinematic influences. Um, I mean, um, obviously very different filmmaker, but just in terms of kind of rebuilding a vision of the past from the ground up, I thought a little bit about, um, Polanski's, you know, Macbeth, just a feeling of like, you're there and it's really musty.
3: That's movies, not accurate at all, but it's cool. <laughs> uh, but like, if it like, okay. the last sword fight, very cool very well done (laughs) uh Uh, you're you're totally engaged with the filmmaking uh but these are supposed to be two of the best warriors (laughs) and they can't like sword fight Uh, there's been thousands of years of, of martial arts of people like fighting with swords and they are waving them around like, you know, like tree trunks, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, But it's engaging.
2: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. um, That's okay, I mean, sometimes you need to fact check um, Macbeth, but uh, I mean, also that, and and just his short films in a way, also just reducing like relationships to very bare elements of like leveraging. Sure, but
3: I mean, but part of the reason why the Lighthouse and the Brothers and the Witch and the Telltale Heart are these tiny chamber pieces because it's cheaper. Okay, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, like, b- uh, yeah. I mean, frankly, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's cheaper.
2: Yeah. Well, let's say you had like unlimited budget. What what would you envision then? If you had, I don't know. I mean, would you want to make one one of these enormous? I don't know what you know. Uh,
3: yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I I would still hope that it would be intimate, even mm-hmm. if there's a, even if it was on a a grand scale. Yeah. The you know part of the lighthouse w- was having control uh, mm-hmm. you know we I had more money than the witch but a similar scope and scale mm-hmm. and we were able to build every single building including the working 70 uh, foot lighthouse tower uh, and so that that really gives us control and we're shooting in this ridiculous uh, antiquated aspect ratio and we know that we can build a table that will suit the, the galley so that we can get a two shot of Rob and Willem on a 50 millimeter lens Mm -hmm. with enough room, yada, yada, yada. And that, and that, and and I, of course I love that kind of control. And also with this size, I can be specific about every door hinge and every doorknob and every button and floorboard and whatever. And if I was doing, uh, you know, whatever, my version of Lord of the Rings, like it would literally be impossible to do that unless you had like, you know, 10 years of prep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which no one's going to pay for,
2: right? Right. Um, I mean, another aspect, maybe, of of kind of having this complete picture, complete control of things, is the sound design, because you can do a lot of heavy lifting there in terms of creating the atmosphere. I mean, in the brothers already, like a lot of a lot of um, what's going on there. I mean, sorry, in brothers. It, it, yeah, it's it, all. Yeah.
3: yeah, it's all sound design, and yeah. uh, and and that brothers was is the same sound designer as the lighthouse, Damien oh, right. Damien Tim Volpe. Volpe right. Uh, and, uh, he didn't do the witch because of Canadian tax credit reasons, but, (laughs) but he, he did, he did the lighthouse and, uh, and he's, uh, he's, he's great. I mean, yeah, you, you, you know, the atmosphere is an accumulation of all this stuff of the of the floorboards and the the buttons and the beards and the language <laughs> and the foghorn uh, and the waves and the you know it's it's mm-hmm. an accumulation of all this stuff that you know and and our silly format you know like we're we're shooting okay. with lenses from 1905 to lenses designed in in the 1930s uh, shooting with on um, black and white film stock double uh, x hasn't changed since the 19 since the 1950s oh, no. using a, a an orthochromatic filter to kind of suggest. Uh, the, you, you, unfortunately, you can't get orthochromatic uh, negative for motion picture film anymore, so we had to use a filter. But, but the, you know, or, perhaps you all know this, but but you know, early cinema and still photography uh, was not sensitive to red light but it was sensitive to ultraviolet right so the ultraviolet gets blemishes that you may not see uh to, to the to the bare eye and not having not being sensitive to red light renders anything rosy on like a caucasian person's face darker so when you watch eisenstein and you're looking at these tan russians it's because they're not wearing makeup whereas the hollywood actors are wearing white pancake makeup to compensate for uh the orthochromatic stuff and we wanted these uh rob and willem to look like salty sea dogs and also that it also renders some blues lighter so if you look at like you know matthew brady civil war photography that has these white just blank white skies and we have those on our uh on our few nice days in 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 the lighthouse it it makes them more uh, austere again and it's not just being fussy it's not just being nerdy it's all about like uh Getting that atmosphere out there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you feel it. like you feel it, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, I love uh, Emmanuel Lebesgue, very inspired by him and his work, but, you know, his, like, him being really excited about Alexa 65 and saying we've been looking at the world through dirty windows Mm -hmm. for years and now we can finally see things clearly. I like the dirty windows. (laughs) You know, we had to shoot the witch uh, uh, on Alexa for financial reasons. And when I look at it, it feels naked in a way that, that really bothers me.
0: The Film Comment podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber presenting Synonyms, the new film from Nadav Lapid, director of The Kindergarten Teacher, winner of the Golden Bear at Berlin Alee and an official selection of the 57th New York Film Festival. Synonyms tells the story of a disaffected young Israeli who flees to Tel Aviv for a new life in Paris, only to find himself lost in translation. IndieWire calls it astonishing, maddening, brilliant, hilarious, obstinate and altogether unmissable. Synonyms opens October 25th at Film at Lincoln Center and at the Quad Cinema before expanding to select cities.
1: Film Comment's Jordan Cronk describes Ovid.tv as the first streaming service whose selection of contemporary arthouse films may prove to be its primary draw. Ovid.tv features over 600 independent works, including Chantal Ackerman's documentary on choreographer Pina Bausch, 12 mind-expanding works from Chris Marker, and classics from can winner Patricio Guzman. From now until November 30th, 2019, save 50% off your first three months of Ovid.tv. Just head over to www.ovid.tv and sign up with the coupon code COMMENT at checkout.
2: Well, let's get a question or two from the audience. Who wants to begin?
1: Thank you so much for your movies. I was curious about, one thing that I love about The Witch and that I'm curious about with The Lighthouse is the specificity of mythology and how The Witch was a a horror film for that very specific location, and this seems to be very much the same thing. And I'm wondering how, with your um, dedication to accuracy, where you cull those stories and those myths from so that you're portraying them accurately to the fears of that time.
3: Uh, yeah, uh, with I mean, with the witch, it was it was easier because it's all very um, it, it's all very intact. Uh, I think that some uh, something that you know, some like you could wag your finger at me with all this talk about accuracy is that like inspired by uh, Coleridge and Melville, uh, we 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 knew that uh, Defoe's character was going to get into. Uh, referencing some classical mythology in his uh, rants and sea spells and sea curses and things, and so uh, my brother and I, w- w- forever guilty for having Jungian leanings, start uh, amplifying and our archetypes and 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 so once we had a story that w- we said, okay, what classical myths does this? resemble, or myth, myth or myths, and then we kind of went in and like, and rebaked some of that stuff in there, but I think b- because the classical myths are so rich with, um, with, with sea mythology, uh, that it was, that it was helpful, and, and even, and even in, uh, the, the folklore that it was native to New England and imported from the British Isles, like, people talk about Neptune, people talk about sirens, like, they, you know, so, so that is, that is still sort of there, and we and we bring it out a little, a little, a little more. But obviously, you know, it is about reading um, uh, materials from from the period, uh, and and oftentimes when you're doing that, you're relearning assumptions that you that that come from uh, secondary s- source materials. I mean, I think with the witch the climax, in, in, the ending in, in the, with the goat and, and, and the, the coven of witches being naked and all that stuff, uh, the, 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 the New England historians would say that that was continental and that kind of thing wasn't really in the imagination of English and New English people. Uh, but uh, I felt that that trespass uh, was, was worthwhile uh, because uh, Goya kind of cemented those Sabbaths and goat imagery in association with witches uh but then i also i also tr- 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 searched hard and, and found uh a, a, an English girl who naively kind of invented a coven with a goat because she had goats on her farm in england mm-hmm. so so even so 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 you know it could happen i don't know if that really answered your question, but yeah. I talked for a long time <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, another question uh, in the back the last row.
0: um considering your Dedication to creating this atmosphere, you know, um, and kind of rooting us in this period. Were you ever concerned about casting these two very familiar faces that might kind of bring us back to today? And did you ever consider casting non actors in the two main roles?
3: Um, I didn't, I, I, I didn't because I felt like Willem and Rob can disappear and have such period faces i mean they they have such good faces, you know like really they're just they're fun to look at and i'm and 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 also you know i'm i'm like uh after post uh I'm back down to my fighting weight, but i'm like taking pictures next to like four of the best cheekbones in the world it's it's very it's very frustrating there they are right there. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I mean yeah, it is it is pretty pretty remarkable. I mean Robert Pattinson I think of like Lost City of Z, that's a movie where he always, he just kind of- completely
3: disappears. Yeah, I mean I I was watch I the thing that I'm working on right now has a ton of night exteriors and so anything with with uh, with with night exteriors uh without you know, with just moonlight. I'm I'm revisiting. I don't think there actually was any in Lost City of Z, but I thought there right. was, so I watched it again. <laughs> yeah. And there's a scene where where Uh, one of the indigenous people is putting some some liquid in water to stun some fish, and Rob, his reaction to it, he just says remarkable three or four times, and it's remarkable. It's (laughs) so good.
2: One role that is often a big mystery to all sorts of filmgoers is the role of the producer, and you have Jay Vonoy and Lars Knutson, as you mentioned. I would think since the, the involvement with The Witch, carrying over here, uh, would you feel that that involvement of them as producers has allowed you to realize this film in the way you wanted or was it somewhat tertiary what they did? And then also uh, you're somewhat uh, self-deprecating with your earlier films. Do you feel that we may get to see something like the Telltale
3: Heart someday? Yes. Yeah, I'm happy to share. I, I, I'm proud of the stuff from, I'm proud of what I've done because I know the obstacles that it took to to get there even if i don't like the final (laughs) piece but you know it's okay uh uh yeah i mean jay and lars are great actually jay uh jay was on uh the the lighthouse but not lars but i'm working with lars right now on something else um cross your fingers that it will be greenlit, um, if you want to see it or whatever. Uh, but uh, I, think, I think we do. But um, but but yeah. I mean, look, Jay Jay was a great advocate. Uh, Jay, um, this movie would not have been made without Jay. Uh, there was a point at, at which we were scouting in Nova Scotia, and we did not find a location. And Jay was like, "If you want to make this movie, you got to tell like everyone that 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 you that it's going to work in Nova Scotia." But but I did. I mean, I I felt confident that it would. Uh, because when you but but you know Jay was, on it. Uh, there's and, uh, Jay also um gives good creative notes. Uh, particularly in the in the development phase and and uh, recommended a book, uh, You Can't Win, uh, by a professional thief and hobo named Jack Black, uh, who is operating at the same time uh, as this film takes place, and it was helpful in, in shaping Robert Pattinson's character. They're different, but like, you know, thanks. Uh, but But I must also say that RT features a24 and New Regency gave me an incredible amount of freedom to do this movie. It's really obscene, and I'm super privileged to that. They let me make this movie this way. And, of course, there were conversations like, are you sure you can't use color negatives so that we can have a color version for certain territories? Are you sure you can't do it digitally? Are you sure you have to shoot in this stupid aspect ratio? Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, it took some long conversations, and... Uh, and, and, you know, and, and Jay was definitely an, 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 ally in, in some of those conversations. Uh, so, um, but, but once everyone was on board, everyone was super supportive. Really, really. I mean,
2: yeah. And has anybody asked you to make a superhero movie yet?
3: Uh, of course, <laughs> honestly, I mean, look, it's not a surprise. Like, 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 um, it's, it, the, the industry is so fickle that when I won the uh, director's award at Sundance, within 10 minutes, uh, someone was calling my agent about a franchise movie. And that really made me paranoid about how messed up (laughs) the industry is because they they hadn't seen my film. They didn't know anything about me. It was just that I got this thing. So so I'm very cautious and like wary of <laughs> of that kind of thing. Uh, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm think it's a really smart choice for Rob to be doing Batman. That's not something that I see myself doing. On the other hand, I eat mostly vegetarian and I enjoy drinking white wine. If you told me that two years ago, I'd tell you you're out of your mind. So who knows? Maybe, maybe like, uh, you know, I, I need to pay for my son to go to school and I'll, you know, do a Marvel movie. I don't know if they'll want me at that point. <laughs>
2: you're a practical man. <laughs> Um, well, actually, just sticking with uh, the, I mean, the, the adherence to shooting it in black and white, uh, I mean, and, and this particular frame that you like, could you could you kind of articulate what is it about that particular frame that, that grips you?
3: So this is, I mean, Brothers was 133. I like, a, I, I think uh, that there's a, a uh, okay, if you look at our history, there's not a lot of like cinemascope paintings that are epic, you, you know. Like Durer can do the apocalypse in a in a vertical format, and it's quite uh, apocalyptic. It doesn't need to be in cinemascope. So, and and you know, maybe Kurosawa would have preferred to have a little more elbow room for the Seven Samurai, but I think it looks pretty good uh, in in one three three. And Throne of Blood uh, looks amazing. So, I I think you know you're just you know, whatever. So I, I, li- I like these boxy aspect ratios, but really, we, we shot this movie in one nineteen one, which is also called movie tone. It was an early uh sound aspect ratio because the sound strip was like knocking your one three three in, right? And uh this movie and Papst shaft are probably the only two movies that should have been shot in this format because we're shooting uh vertical objects like the lighthouse tower and like the smokestacks of the mine. It, 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 it takes place in a mine. Uh, the cramped interiors of my lighthouse station, the cramped mine shafts, and and of course I have you know it, it's a if you're using spherical lenses and you're shooting with a boxy aspect ratio, the frame is actually taller, so I'm using more of the spherical lens. So, so I'm, I'm, you have more space to get juicy close-ups of these two great faces and with their f- four cheekbones, um, <clears throat> and uh, and you know, and it is trans, and it is transportive, you know, yeah. uh, and, and, and 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 you know, I mean, like. Fritz Lang was forced to use this aspect ratio in in M and Mabuza and stuff, and he does it very well. Uh, But again, like Kurosawa, maybe he would have preferred to have a little Little more elbow room. Yeah. (laughs) But for us, uh, it was it was it was it was nice, and and it was I I have to say, really cool. It was really cool at TIFF. We got to screen the film uh, on an IMAX screen, which is uh, much closer to to this aspect ratio. So it was no longer this tiny little box in a cinemascope screen. It was this all encompassing experience. It was very different. And I'm but let me tell you, I am so tired of this movie. I never want to see it again. (laughs) But when we were when we were doing uh, when I was doing the, the the, the the QC for that screening, I was I was like, oh, let me see, Rob, take the boat out of the boathouse. Let me let me see this. Let me see this because it was a, a completely different way to experience the movie. It was it was pretty cool. Wow. Um, all
2: right. Uh, maybe in the in the second row from the back there. Sorry, you you, you sir. Yeah, yeah. No, I love I, IMAX. Always reminds me of just like it's the size of a building. You're like looking yeah. at the side of a building basically. Yeah. So that's appropriate for a lake Yeah. <laughs> Um,
0: could you talk more about the writing process with your brother and whether you'd worked with him in the past? Um, were you the one kind of maybe making the final calls and maybe bossing him around a little bit, or how did that... Yes, kind of I was definitely
3: that? the Willem Defoe to his Robert Pattinson. <laughs> uh, and he, I, I'm seven years older than him, so it's allowed. Uh, but he, the, uh, um, a ghost story in a lighthouse was Max's idea, um and 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 uh, when he said that I mentioned I pictured this atmosphere, but he was working on something else that was based on Edgar Allan Poe's unfinished work uh about a man and his dog Neptune in 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 a lighthouse. But his thing was contemporary and it had like a legit G-O-H-S-T in it. Uh and uh but I asked him and I was when he told me about this, I was jealous of the idea. Uh but I but I was, you know, trying to get the witch made. Uh, but a couple months later, I said, how's the Lighthouse movie coming? He said, it's not coming very well uh, at all. And I said, can I take a crack at it? So then I started to do my thing. Uh, and then eventually, when these bigger things were seeming potentially precarious, I said, Max, let's write this together. Uh, it was your idea anyway. Um, and so I'll be very specific about the, the writing process uh, um uh, you know, we I, I gave Max all my stuff. I gave Max all my research. I told him to watch a bunch of movies, and then we got together. And you know, and I'm saying, okay, so these are the first ten pages. These few things need to happen. Uh, the mermaid watches up in the, on, on the shore in the middle of the film. Uh, there's a mystery in the light. It takes place in the, you know whatever. And so, and and then and then Max wrote uh, a series of outlines of the whole movie. And the third try, we we really liked the first and second act. So then I said, please write act one. He wrote Act One. It was great. I revised it. Write Act Two. He wrote it. I revised it. And then I was so excited that I wrote Act Three. And from there, we just pass it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you know, uh, certain certain Max is better at a normal narrative than me. Um, uh, I'm better at writing Shakespearean faux Shakespearean faux Miltonian C curses than him, uh, you know. So, so it was a very fun collaboration. Uh, I, I, I really find that writing with a collaborator is like the best word I can think of is joyful. Because there's something about handing the drafts back and forth and like and, and e- each one improving on it that is not competitive. It's 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 uh, it's just mutually joyful. I'm working with a a, a novelist on uh, on on the thing I'm trying to get made right now. Same, uh, and I would love to work with Max again. Um, you know, I would love to write a script by myself again too. Uh, but but right now I'm having a really fun time collaborating with other people and and having them and and, and just enjoying enjoying pushing each other.
2: Thank you. Um, There was a question there in the back. Yeah. Uh, Howdy. Uh, Sorry. Um, Wrong part of the country. (laughs) We're in New England.
0: (laughs) Um, Anyway, well, actually, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, What really drew me, um, my brother introduced me to your films, and what really drew me to The Witch was it was explicitly a New England fairy tale. It was set in sort of America's mythology. And I feel like America has this really interesting sort of folk history and mythology, like with all kinds of different creatures and magics. And I just find it all so absorbing, but so much of our media is very um, sort of European and Greek based when it comes to mythology. I was just curious, um, and you've talked, you said you've worked on, you are working on projects set in more European mythologies. Uh, What do you find fascinating and special about sort of north american folk tales and mythology
3: it's it's tricky because i mean some of the i mean the the best north american mythology is from like the indigenous people of north america i think a lot of the the stuff that came over from europe is fascinating but has gotten like watered down uh and when i traveled the world uh to promoting movies uh, I've really come to see how much, as much as the U.S. is a melting pot, uh, that the, that the, this dominant Anglo-Protestant culture is a real thing, uh, and so um, so finding the pockets where uh, where paganism sur- survived, uh, uh, as far as for you know European paganism sur- survived in in the dominant culture uh is is difficult. I find that being a New Englander it's not really easy to commune with your with your folk culture. You know, there's not uh, there's not as many people like you have to try to do it. If in the south and in uh y- you know, people and in the west like there is a folk culture that people understand, you know, people wear the folk garb uh, of the past, the cowboy hats and bullshit, you know, the folk garb in my uh, part of the world is uh, like you know uh, brown car hearts and a camo hat, um, you know, and so I think I'm interested in trying to f- to, to 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 find it. Frankly, uh, that's that's the most interesting thing thing to me. And you know, with the witch, there were certain things like the the hair, the witch as a hair is is massive in uh in in uh, the british isles and in Ireland, but because we don't have hairs here, that kind of died. but I think for some people uh who who've experienced this like inherited cultural memory, like the hair worked for them because it was some thread that it was sort of attached to. other people are just like what 's up with the bunny um, which I also understand <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, one other thing that strikes me is... That, I mean, are, are you trying to say something about, like, the primitivism of some of this? In the sense there's, there's often, like, a violent, like, core to it at a certain point that, that gets released, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a bad word, primitivism, but I mean, just mean something no, about uh, the primalism is a better word. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think, uh, like, any time the dark side of stuff is like repressed, it's going to like, you know, ex- explode.
2: Right, so the Puritan, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. All right, um, another question from the audience. Anyone? Sorry, I didn't like <laughs> run <laughs> no, <that> more. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to ask a question because like, I don't want to reduce it, but like clearly there are ideas in, in, you know, in, in these films, so I'm curious, that, that's what I was, I was curious about. I mean, um, in, in the Lighthouse as well. Um, well, um, I'm also just, you know, with, with the lighthouse, the, you, you know, you, you, we were talking before about, um, how precisely it was, it was staged and cut in the sense that I wonder if you could share that, you know, your first cut was not that much longer than, than where you ended up.
3: Yeah. 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 I, uh, the first cut of the witch was 97 minutes and the final cut was 92 or three. And the first cut of this was two hours and seven minutes. And the final version is an hour 50 so yeah, there's not a lot on the on the cutting room floor uh i'm I, I love my buddy Ari Aster, but I don't know I don't know how he does it <laughs> the director's guy I don't know how he does it yeah is, is,
2: is part of that a little determined just by this the space you're working in that you' you very much like blocked out how you're gonna use that that set and or
3: I just I mean I, I like making a choice and just committing to it uh I like it and I and sometimes that, like I box me, me and my editor in mm-hmm. you know and she was like what were you and Jaren thinking and i'm <laughs> like uh, yeah, you know and but yeah. that's fun too yeah uh that's fun too i i i uh, like y- y- you know uh yeah. 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 You know, and I think I like, like the, I, nothing I, there's nothing I hate more than going to a movie and seeing that it's just covered like a TV show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I just, it just, I mean, like if, if the script screenplay is good and the acting is good, I'm obviously engaged anyway, right. but I like to be thinking about like what, about interesting cinematic language, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and do you, do you do you do the thing where you show movies you know to, to the actors beforehand or no?
3: There's no reason to show the actors a movie because, uh, as Defoe says, I don't why don't want to why why would I be watching the shadow of something, when I could be watching the real thing? Mm-hmm. So I sent them a ton of research and photos and mm-hmm. and documentaries and uh, recordings and books and all kinds of crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but no, the only, I mean you know I was trying to think if I ever shown anyone anything. From a movie, uh, you know, and I was like, "Oh, I showed Ralph Einstein Dovzhenko's Earth uh-huh. uh, for the stillness of the Ukrainian farmers, but they were not actors, uh-huh. so uh, yeah. not all of them, but certainly like yeah. my favorite ones." Yeah. Uh, so, um, so I don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah I mean, like, I show films to my collab, to my collaborators, it, his mm-hmm. department to, to some to some degree. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, another question in the audience.
1: So it seems like you know a lot about like cinematography, production design, sound design. So, like it seems like you have a very specific vision of what you want for every film. So how do you like decide how when to like collaborate with the people that you're working with, like when to compromise your vision and when to like accept their opinions?
3: That's a great question. I mean, the whole thing uh, for being about being a director, I, I think, is you have to, is you're hiring people who know more and are better at their jobs than 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 you are. Uh, and, 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 and that's, and that's I, 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 you know, I did, like, the whole thing is when do you listen to them because they do know more than you. Like, I, you know, obviously, like, I've made two features, so, so the next, but, but, but look, if you've made five feature films, that's formidable as a director, right? That, is, that, that alone is, is, is formidable. But, but, you know, unless you're Ridley Scott, like, you're pretty much always, as the director, going to be the least experienced person on your set. Um, so, so you're always listening to the people who know more than you, but part of what makes you a director of distinction is knowing when to say, okay, like I see what you're saying, but this is the time we have to reinvent the wheel, you know? And, and I think, uh, you you know, I, I'm working with repeat collaborators. So they're dialed into me and I'm dialed into them and, uh, and, you know, Linda can say, Rob. Like, why are you saying you want a peak lapel for Willem Dafoe's vest? Look right here at the research you gave me. It's a notch lapel, you fool. And uh, and, uh, and 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 Jaron, the DP uh, that I've worked with on all my short films, and we you worked together a lot with me as a production designer. And when I was in, in, in the art department, trying to be a director when I grew up, and, and oftentimes he'll he'll say like, "What is this? What is this? This is like like if I give him a shot list, he'll be like, "This isn't you." Like who is this? This isn't you, uh, and so we've got e- we've got each other's backs, and that and that takes time. But it's it's really just about you know. But but then like on, on the witch, uh, I, I you know I had way less experience with um, with uh VFX and with stunts, and I really kind of just um, said I'm gonna have to trust the people who I hired because uh, I I don't know anything about it, and to to some degree, uh, like to some degree, just let let them handle it, and and that was a mistake. You know, because I still had uh, uh, ideas and, and instincts that were correct. Uh, uh, you know, even though I didn't really know how to do it. So, so it's it's a constant balance, and that and I really I find that that's like the number one thing.
2: Yeah, and and, and with actors, I mean, I'm I'm curious how does how does that play out as, as well? Um, you know, getting a sense of would you block it a different way or, you know, a different energy from the scene? Does that crop up as well? Or
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, with all my pre-planning and all this stuff, like, if it really, if it sucks and the actors can't do it and it's terrible or the dialogue just, can't come out of their mouths correctly, I have to change it. Like, sometimes my preconceived notions are are, are just wrong. Uh, you know, Defoe and, and Pattinson, because of the movies that they choose to do, they know you have to submit to the director's, vision or whatever to some degree or the movie's never going to work but they need different things as actors you know and and i need to be able to use different tools for 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 different for different actors yeah
2: i think we have time for just one more question so is that going to be oh in the in the center there
1: I was curious when you were talking about the editing process and how you felt boxed in before. So how did you get over that? And also, how did you get confident during the production process to see, like, oh, these are the decisions that I know I'm going to make even if they might box me in later?
3: I I don't... I, they, just, they just seem right. The decisions seem right on the day. Like, sometimes you're, shoot, you're shooting something and you realize, like, the ship's sinking, the ship's sinking. Like, abort, 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 you know, and you have to... Uh, like make another choice, but some, but big, often sometimes because Jaron and I, I, I like <clears throat> there was a scene, there's a scene, there was a scene where the tide is coming so c- quickly to us that we couldn't move our camera, even though we knew that the camera need, would have been better like 50 feet forward, but we were using like a techno crane and we had all this track laid out and all this stuff, and we had, did not have time to move it. So that was a situation where even though we were thinking abort, 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 we could not do anything about it, and that scene. I won't tell you what it is, but it always bothers me, uh, you know, because we just weren't close enough, um, and there's nothing ever that can ever be done about that, and it just sucks. Um, but uh, but other times, uh, you you just you just you just keep bashing it around. You keep bashing it around. Uh, I, I I you know, and you just know uh, a solution will come. A, lo- a solution will come. And sometimes it's it's so much easier than than you think, or so, or sometimes it's realizing you know, I have to lose like this one beat that I like. Uh, in order to get rid of the stuff that doesn't work, and and like that's sad, but it's worth it in the end. Oh, but wait! I can take his his his, his that one like scream that he made from that part and insert it earlier, so I can still have it. Yay! You know, and and that might come like two weeks after you've already killed your baby. You know, so uh, you just keep whacking at it, and you know, yeah. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah.
2: It sounds like there's a movie to be made about the making of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, all right, I'm, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. But, Rob, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Eindji. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.
0: The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Synonyms from director Nadav Lapid. Winner of The Golden Bear at Berlinale, and an official selection of the 57th New York Film Festival, Synonyms comes to theaters starting October 25th.
1: Stream your favorite documentaries, arthouse films, and works of international cinema at Ovid.tv. It's a home for precisely the types of films that we need more than ever, and yet are becoming increasingly difficult to find. So if you'd like to support independent cinema, we invite you to sign up at www.ovid.tv. New titles are added every week.